Welcome to Yukon Internal Medicine Podcast. This is Alatar Shujin, your host and a chief medical resident here at Yukon. A quick disclaimer before we start. All opinions and views expressed in our podcast are entirely the responsibility of the authors and do not represent the opinions of anyone else in the Yukon Department of Medicine. The content presented is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. With disclaimer out of the way, it's time to introduce this week's ambulatory topic. Let's talk about diarrhea, more specifically acute diarrhea. It is defined as at least three loose or watery bowel movements over 24 hours that continue for up to 13 days. Loose stool that continues past two weeks is called persistent diarrhea, and one that continues past one month is called chronic diarrhea. Persistent and chronic diarrhea are a challenging presentation to work up and are beyond the scope of our discussion for today. Let's focus on acute diarrhea, its subtypes, etiologies, workup, and treatment options available. When approaching a case of acute diarrhea, it helps to break it down into infectious versus non-infectious and inflammatory versus non-inflammatory. This way, you end up with four subgroups of acute diarrhea presentations. Let's talk about each of them separately. Infectious non-inflammatory is a type of acute diarrhea that is caused by a pathogen, either a virus, bacteria, or a parasite, and presents with a large volume of watery diarrhea, but without blood, mucus, or tenesmus. The reason this type of acute diarrhea is called non-inflammatory is because these pathogens usually affect small intestine and do not cause mucosal destruction or inflammation. As a result, patients are unlikely to report fever or severe abdominal cramps. Infectious non-inflammatory diarrhea is frequently caused by viruses such as norovirus and rotavirus, bacteria such as enterotoxigenic E. coli or ETEC, Clostridium perfringens, Bacillus cereus, Staph aureus, Vibrio cholera, and parasites such as Giardia and Cryptosporidium parvum. Moving on to infectious inflammatory diarrhea. Similar to infectious non-inflammatory, this diarrhea type is also caused by a pathogen, but unlike the first type we discussed, its presentation has a more aggressive clinical course with bloody diarrhea, mucus, fever, and severe abdominal pain. Aggressive nature of infectious inflammatory diarrhea comes from either cytotoxin-secreting pathogens or pathogens that invade mucosal cells, causing significant damage to the intestinal mucosa. Some of the common pathogens responsible for infectious inflammatory diarrhea are cytotoxin-producing enteroaggregative E. coli, enterohemorrhagic E. coli, C. diff, and invasive pathogens such as Salmonella, Yersinia, Campylobacter, anterior-invasive E. coli, Entamoeba histolytica, and Shigella. Let's move on to non-infectious types of acute diarrhea. Similar to infectious diarrhea types, non-infectious diarrhea can be inflammatory and non-inflammatory. Non-infectious, non-inflammatory diarrhea is a result of intestinal malabsorption or secretion. Many things can cause it. Sometimes it can be precipitated by diet, 
such as in case of caffeine ingestion, celiac disease, lactose intolerance, or ingestion of non-digestible sugars. Sometimes it is iatrogenic and is caused by medications patient is on, such as antibiotics, SSRIs or SNRIs, and metformin. Lastly, rarely but some of the endocrine disorders can present with secretory or malabsorption type of diarrhea, such as pancreatic insufficiency, thyroid or adrenal dysfunction, and bile acid malabsorption. Finally, non-infectious inflammatory type of acute diarrhea. Some of the conditions that would fit under this umbrella term are Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, ischemic colitis, or radiation enteritis. When you see a patient for acute diarrhea, it is important to collect information on stool characteristics, systemic signs and symptoms, severity of other GI symptoms such as degree of abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, and ability to tolerate PO. Some of the history that could be relevant is recent hospitalizations or exposure to antibiotics, history of immunocompromising conditions, history of animal exposure, recent travel, diet and how it relates to symptoms, medications or drug use, any local outbreaks, personal or family history of GI disease. Some high-yield associations important to remember are if patient was recently on antibiotics, think of C. diff. If patient has history of immunocompromising conditions, think of opportunistic infections. If patient has history of animal exposure, think of Yersinia, Campylobacter, and Cryptosporidium. Now briefly about traveler's diarrhea. Approximately 80 to 90% of cases are caused by enterotoxigenic E. coli or ETEC, followed by Campylobacter jejuni, Shigella, and Salmonella. Viruses such as norovirus, rotavirus account for 5 to 15% of cases, and parasitic infections such as Giardia account for nearly 10% of cases. Workup for an acute diarrhea depends on the severity of presentation. Your initial test may include BMP to assess for degree of electrolyte arrangements and renal function. If your patient has fever or bloody diarrhea, you may consider ordering CBC to assess for leukocytosis and anemia. Stool studies are not routinely ordered on acute diarrhea cases unless presentation is severe with bloody diarrhea, severe abdominal pain, and fevers. Stool studies can be done either by stool culture or molecular testing, such as PCR or NAT, and should be collected prior to initiation of empiric therapy. Molecular testing is usually preferred because of quicker turnaround time. One limitation of molecular testing is that it is not able to differentiate between viable and non-viable organisms, which is why local public health laboratories may still elect to do stool cultures to detect outbreaks, even if at expense of longer turnaround times. Fecal leukocytes, lactoferrin, and calprotectin are not recommended in evaluation of acute diarrhea due to low sensitivity and specificity. Most cases of acute diarrhea are self-limiting and only require supportive treatment with oral rehydration therapy. 
Pedialyte and Gatorade may be available, but one can also mix oral rehydration therapy at home. When making it yourself, the proportion of all the ingredients plays a key role in facilitating absorption into the intestine. Fluid that is hyperosmolar will lead to further free water loss and worsening of diarrhea, and hypoosmolar fluid, such as water, will result in loss of solute into the intestines. Bismuth subsalicylate, or loperamide, can also be used for symptom management. Importantly, loperamide should be avoided in patients with infectious inflammatory diarrhea due to increased risk of worsening of infection and toxic megacolon. Now, do we give antibiotics and when? Keeping rising antibiotic resistance in mind, antibiotic therapy is reserved for patients with moderate to severe acute diarrhea, with bloody stools, fever, sepsis or patients with immunocompromise. Prophylactic or standby antibiotics against traveler's diarrhea are no longer recommended. If antibiotic therapy is warranted, azithromycin, which is now preferred, can be given as 1 gram once or 500 milligrams daily for 3 days. Ciprofloxacin and levofloxacin can be given as a one-time dose of 750 mg or 500 mg, respectively, or as 500 mg daily for three days. Afloxacin can be given as 400 mg one-time dose or 400 mg daily for three days. Lastly, rifaximin can be used as 200 mg TID for 3 days, but should be avoided in cases of inflammatory infectious diarrhea. Less review. When approaching acute diarrhea, it is helpful to break down each case into infectious versus non-infectious and inflammatory versus non-inflammatory. Escalate workup as necessary to match the severity of presentation. If you do have to order stool studies, make sure to collect fecal sample prior to initiating empiric antibiotics. Oral rehydration therapy remains the cornerstone of acute diarrhea management. Make sure to educate patients on free water consumption and how to prepare oral rehydration therapy at home to avoid worsening of symptoms. Lastly, prophylactic or standby antibiotics against traveler's diarrhea are no longer recommended. This concludes our discussion for today. I hope this was a good overview of workup and treatment of acute diarrhea. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you in our next episode.